The following audio is from LaGrange Church of Christ, located in Texas. For more information about LaGrange Church of Christ, please visit our website at www.lagrangecoc.com. Well, grace and peace to you this morning. We're so glad that you're here with us on the Lord's Day to worship God and to study His Word. Um, you know, we've had a busy several weeks. Uh, one of the things that we're s- still working towards, we're, we're trying to help as many people as we can, um, but we're doing the Hands of Hope food ministry. And, and as many of you know, that's uh, grown much larger since the floods. And one of the things you see in the back is we had a food donation from the uh, Flatonia um, uh, Parents Teachers Organization. So if you know anyone who works in that school district or whose kids attend there, be sure and thank them for that. And uh, again, we'll, we'll need your assistance going forward in helping with uh, packing and deliveries. And um, the first of next month, the elders announced our second collection will go to that ministry. So just keep that in mind. We're in a series of lessons on the book of Leviticus, an Old Testament book that is sometimes overlooked. Um, it's considered a, a difficult book to, to read and study, and we're trying to um, make it easier and, and simpler for, for people to come and to, to look at this important Word of God and to understand what God wants us to know. And so when one begins to read Leviticus, it, it seems as if it has little or, or nothing to do with your life. I mean, there are lots of rules about how to perform a sacrifice, but there's little practical application. There's also the fact that what is recorded is part of the law of Moses. And we now live under the new covenant. Uh, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross has made animal sacrifices unnecessary and obsolete. So why read Leviticus? Well, we've discussed this in our previous lessons, and we've noticed how the themes in Leviticus are still relevant for us now. Things like sacrifice and and holiness are still part of the Christian life, although they look a little bit different now than they did then. We've also seen how Leviticus is about living in the presence of God and communing with God around a table. Again, some things have changed since the days of Leviticus. We no longer encounter God's presence at the tabernacle. Nowadays, the church is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we commune with God at the Lord's table. Well, this morning's text in Leviticus 19 is a little different. Uh, When you read it, you're going to hear some familiar sayings. This is because several um, passages in this chapter are also found in the New Testament. Both Jesus and Peter quote from this section of Scripture. And so this chapter is very practical. It contains instructions for everyday life. We noticed last week how Leviticus opens right where Exodus leaves off, and there is a crisis. The the, the tabernacle is built, but no one can enter into it. It is a place where God dwells, but it has yet to become a tent of meeting. And so the first 9, 10 chapters of Leviticus is about how this problem is resolved. Through sacrifice and obedience, the people of God are finally able to come near the tabernacle, and Moses and Aaron are able to enter into this holy place. 
And so this happens at the end of Leviticus chapter 9. But as you probably know, that's not the end of the book. In, in Leviticus, the people of God learn how to be holy and learn how to live in the presence of God. But from there, they are to go out into the world and be a holy people in the places where they live and where they work. In fact, this is how chapter 19 begins. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now this command is quoted by Peter at the beginning of his first letter, that passage that Brian read for us this morning. The call to be holy as God is holy is a principle for God's people at all times in all places. And so this describes our life. We are a people who are shaped by God. And we strive to reflect the holiness of God wherever we go. Now, in the following verses, we're going to learn what this exactly means. Because God is going to give us specifics. He is going to explain what holiness looks like so that we will know how to live. Now, before we look at those verses, we should note that this passage reveals something about the character of God. And it provides great insight into what God is asking of us. And I think this is important because we are living in a culture that is uninformed about many aspects of religion. And so social media makes everyone an expert. And this is one of the reasons why many people are misinformed. Uh, they're no longer reading books. They're no longer listening to experts. They're, they're getting their information from Facebook, Twitter, and other places on the internet. Um, and in a world that is often confused about religion, we need to gently show people the truth. Uh, one of the things that people are confused about is the character of God. And so sometimes God is portrayed as a tyrant. But those of us who have studied Scripture know that this is not the case at all. He's not an awful ruler who wants us to jump through hoops for no reason at all. In fact, he provides a purpose and reason for the commands that he gives. And so we find here at the beginning of Leviticus 19, we are to be holy as he is holy. The Bible begins by informing us that we have been created in the image of God. And so there is something godlike that lives in each and every one of us. And not just us, but everyone in the world. The, the problem is that sin has been introduced into the world, and, and sin corrupts the image of God within us. And so becoming holy, like God is holy, helps us to repair the damage done by sin. To be holy like God is holy is about us being the people that we ought to be. And it helps us to regain our full humanity and live abundant lives. They're going to leave us satisfied. Now, what is amazing is that we get to see how this call to follow in the footsteps of God evolves over time. And so in Leviticus and other books, 
we're simply given commands that reflect the character of God. And commands are good, but they're not always the best way of getting the message across, especially when the message is someone's character. You know, when Laura and I uh, need a new piece of furniture, we usually visit Ikea. And, and I don't know if you're familiar with Ikea or not, but it is a Swedish company that makes some pretty good furniture at a very reasonable price. Um, now, the only problem with it is that you have to put it together. And so, you know, we go and we pick out the furniture, we load the box, we take it home, And when I open it, all I have is a bunch of wood, some nuts, bolts, and screws, and some directions with no words, because the people who make it don't speak English. And it can be a nightmare to put together. And what would really be useful is to have someone who knows what they are doing to come alongside me and show me how it's done. That's what I really need, but I'm often just left to my own. But this is what happens in the story of God's people. At first, God gives them commands on how to be like Him. And they get a pretty good picture of who God is, but it's still a little cloudy. God is not fully revealed. And all of this changes when God takes on flesh and he comes to earth, and then Jesus fully reveals God to us, we have an example that we can follow. And we know what it looks like to live a holy life because all we have to do is to look at Jesus. Well, many of the commands that are found in Leviticus 19 resemble the Ten Commandments. For instance, uh, notice Leviticus 19, 3 and 4. Every one of you shall revere his mother and father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. And so the Ten Commandments are foundational for the people of God. They are the bedrock for how we are to live our life. We are to honor God, we are to honor our family, and we are to honor our neighbors. And when we do this, Our lives are going to be blessed. Now, the heart of this chapter is about that third one, honoring or loving our neighbor. And so when Jesus is asked what the greatest commands are, uh, he first quotes Deuteronomy 6, to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he quotes Leviticus 19.18, and he calls it the second greatest command. The Apostle John reminds us that how we love our neighbor is a direct reflection on how, we, how much we love God. And so, in other words, you can tell how much a person loves God by how well they are loving their neighbor. The two go hand in hand. You can't separate them. Uh, different aspects of loving our neighbor are discussed throughout this chapter. Uh, First, we are to recognize that there are people around us who may have fallen on hard times. There are people around us who are in need. And the Bible calls us to help them. In fact, God provides a specific way of doing this in Leviticus 19, 9 through 10. He tells them exactly how to do it. He says, when you reap the harvest of your land, 
You shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your field. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. And so as most of you know, the economy in biblical times was agrarian. And so most people, they either raised crops or they owned livestock. And here God tells them how they can provide for the poor among them. He says, when it's harvest time, you're not to reap everything in the field. You're to leave some of it behind so that people who are without, people who are in need, they will have something to eat. And this accomplishes a couple of different things. First, it provides food for people who don't have any. And that's the most important. But second, it allows people in need to maintain some of their dignity. And so they're able to go into the field and collect the food themselves. They work for it. Now, we understand the first part of this very well. We are fully aware that we as Christians are to help people in need. You know, we we hear that all the time. We don't always consider the second part. How do we help people while allowing them to maintain some of their dignity. And this can be tricky at times, but, but it's something that uh, we need to consider and it's something that we need to figure out. Um, God also talks about being fair to everyone and not defrauding them in any way. So for instance, verses 13 and 14, you should not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind but you shall fear uh, your God, I am the Lord. And so one of the things that we need to understand is that people are different. We have had different upbringings, different experiences, and different ways of living. And when we are striving to be just, we also need to be empathetic. In other words, we need to consider what it's like to walk in someone else's shoes. And I think that this is reflected in these commands. The the command to pay a hired worker on the same day that he does his work might seem kind of strange to some of us. Why? Well, you know, there are some of us here this morning who may have, you know, money in savings. And if, you know, we need to pay a bill, then we just go to the bank and, and we take out whatever we need. There are others here this morning who live paycheck to paycheck. And we're just waiting on Friday to roll around so that we can just pay the electric bill. And God wants us to be aware of this. He wants us to give people what is due them, when it is due them, and not hold anything back. He also wants us to be aware that there are some people who it might be easy to take advantage of. And he specifically mentions here the deaf and the blind. And it's up to us to look out for people who might be easily defrauded. In our day and age, it uh, often is the elderly who are taken advantage of. And so dishonest people come up with all kinds of scams to rob people of their money. And we need to help those around us who might fall victim to one of these schemes. And this is what it means to be a neighbor. Finally, in verse 18... 
God gives us the command that sums up all these others. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so plain and simple, we are to love our neighbor as ourself. Of course, it's not always as easy as it sounds. It's one thing to say it here this morning. It's another thing to go out on Monday morning and to do it, to put it into action. And it takes a lifetime to perfect this important command. A teacher of the law once came to Jesus and asked, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied by telling one of the most famous stories in the Bible. It was the story of the Good Samaritan. And certainly we need to be a good Samaritan to the people we meet. But the story goes deeper than that. Jesus was pointing out to the man that his neighbor could be the very person that he hates the most. Jews despised Samaritans. And this is a a message that we need to hear in our polarized world. More and more people are dividing themselves into groups and clinging to the very things that separate them from others. Riots and violence are not uncommon. Hatred and division can be found all over social media. We live in troubling times. And many of us are wondering, what is the solution? How do we overcome this hatred and violence that has overtaken our land? Well, the answer is found in Leviticus. It is an answer that Jesus reminds us of in the Gospels. We are to love our neighbor. And it doesn't matter whether they're black, white, Hispanic, or Asian. It doesn't matter if they're Republican, Democrat, or Independent. It doesn't matter who they love or where they worship. We're called to be a neighbor to everyone. And our world can get better if each of us would make an effort to love the people right in front of us. You know, don't worry about what's happening in Washington or another state or another country. Worry about the neighbor who lives in your community and who depends on you. Love the people around you. Be a light to the people you meet. Seek God's will on earth as it is in heaven. And slowly and surely, we will see the fruit of our labor. Let's pray. Father, we come before you at this time and we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for the reminder that you have called us to two great commands. To love you and to love our neighbor. We're here this morning, Father, because we love you. Because we want to worship and praise you. We want to study your word. We want to do the things that you would have us to do. But we also know that that's just one of the great commands. We're also to go out into this world and to love people all around us. And we understand that sometimes these individuals are sinful, sometimes they're hateful, sometimes they don't like us very much, but it doesn't matter that we're called to love. And that that's what people should see in us. They should see your son, 
who willingly went to the cross and died for all the people who loved him and his enemies. We pray that we'll be able to reflect this image in our lives as we leave this building. It's in his name we pray. Amen.